bright. Sip it on gin and Sprite. Right? So just like a little tangeray and some Sprite that I had lying around because I didn't feel like going out and buying any mixers. I have talked. I found there's this girl that does uh entire like web se- like web series called Crew Trime. Oh, nice. And she does an entire like murder or whatever while she's doing her makeup. So she oh, does I love a that makeup tutorial as she's actually doing it all. I love that so much. So she's kind of very insensitive at times, but uh. <laughs> As as I would imagine. I mean, hence as someone doing their own makeup, it would seem so. Well, I mean, would... I'm offended by most people doing their own makeup, so. Mm. <laughs> but she has a cute little half hour episode of this. So. Oh, that's... oh, okay. That's fun. So that was part of your research that you did? Well, because I was listening to this one guy on, um, there was one podcast that I was listening to, Case File, the case file of it. Okay. And it's this Australian guy, and it's just his voice is so melodic. It's fun because he's Australian, and you always love an Australian, like. <laughs> oh, yeah. there's There are some really, inf- like, fantastic Australian true crime podcasts, so I'm I'm all for that. We're, we're not as melodic. Meanwhile, I'm sitting here at my, at my desk in my bedroom. I've got a bottle of Tangray, a bottle of Sprite, and a pink dildo just sitting uh, all within succession it's pretty lovely you under oh my god i'm surrounded by so many dildos i mean how is your quarantine my quarantine is going fairly well uh i mean i work in a hospital as you know so i'm yeah. not having to go out very often i i get my enough socialization through going to work and seeing my coworkers, so that's really helpful okay so i'm not like missing the the socialization aspect as much i'm more missing you know my friends my family and especially i am missing dick not that i was picking up that much to begin with but now that the option is off the table i all i want to do is hook up it's it's really unfortunate you're like you're like excuse me like that's why that's why I'm so glad that I uh I'm quarantined with my partner because yeah. had I been not he he would have been in Brooklyn um and I would have been in Washington Heights and that just would have been absolutely like that's been one of the only like saving graces of all of this is to be able to be with the person that like I love and actually be able to be like yo we're gonna do this mm. oh yeah absolutely I'm like you know. I, all I have is porn and, and a dildo, and I'm like, oh, this is starting to get boring. I, could, <laughs> I found so many dildos in this house. There's six different people that live here, and just like from cleaning spaces and everything, like there's, I've found so many dildos. <laughs> I I support this. I support this wholeheartedly. I mean, so what day of quarantine is this for you? I don't know. I started uh, social uh, socially distancing uh, the day before. I mean, not not that I wasn't socially distancing. I was, but I was still seeing like my my close friends who I was seeing regularly up until the day before everything closed. So when all the restaurants okay. closed, the gyms closed. Like that was really when I was like, okay, it's time to hunker down. I can't even really see my friends who I'd already been seeing for a while. So uh, my my goth wife Emily, who I miss dearly, we we went out the. The day before the bars all closed, we went out, and then the day of, 
we were like, let's go and grab one last meal at our favorite bar where I do my uh, my drag gig up in up here in Westchester. So I was, you know, I was like, let's let's just have one last hurrah with them. Put a little money in their pockets before they have to close the doors. So totally other. Yeah. And then other than that, the only time I really leave my apartment is to go grocery shopping or to go to work. So and 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 thank you so much for being like on the front lines of all of this craziness. You know, it's so it's it's such a surreal experience that I think that we're in. It's fucking nuts. Well, I don't think I don't think anybody expected it to really go in the direction that it has gone. I think that we all were kind of just expecting it to play out as all of the other pandemics that we faced in, you know, the past we we had, you know, we had H1N1, we had SARS, we had Ebola. I think we all kind of expected it to just kind of play out the same way and that, you know, Americans weren't really affected as much well, as other countries. Like, and... Yeah, I feel like that's the biggest thing is that we always think that America is just not going to be affected, you know, and this time it's like this shut everything down and it makes the biggest difference between like a pandemic and an epidemic. Yeah, um, absolutely. We've been we, we've been hunkered down here for I think it was as of Friday, it was I think we're at 27 days right now. Yeah, that we've been like, just like, hi, hello, how are you? And saying that same person again. <laughs> yeah it's gonna be i mean it's gonna be almost four weeks it's at the very least I think. yeah yeah and it's you know it I, well for me I, I i keep i'm keeping record in ter- in my brain in terms of the way things have played out in the hospital so for yeah, me totally. it'll be it'll be four weeks for me on on uh the ninth that'll be my my marker to know that we have made it a month <laughs> but it's it's it is surreal it's interesting my you know my birthday is coming up in may and i'm a little when's your uh, birthday little, may 9th oh shit i was supposed to be born may 9th actually oh really um but i was born may 26th okay all right so you're a gemini i get that Hello. i understand it <laughs> Hello. i get along well with gemini's so yes I mean, like, I feel like since I was supposed to be born on May 9th, I'd get, like, both both those signs a little bit, but... Yeah, we're on the cusp, so that's cool. I'm down. But yeah, no, so, like, my birthday's coming up, I'm gonna be 31, and I'm like, okay, so this is gonna probably be a quiet birthday at home this year. Right? Oh, my... So, which, I mean, isn't so bad. I was, you know, I was hoping that, the you know, the week before, we were gonna be in LA for DragCon, but DragCon mm-hmm. is cancelled. Right. So, so it's okay. I... I probably I could do without spending all that money, so I heard that pride that pride was cancelled, but I could be wrong in that statement. Yeah, um, I mean I'm sure it will be. It's I don't think that this is gonna peter out anytime soon. And it's even not if, going away, it's gonna be one of those things where it's like it is there. Yeah, I think this is the new normal. I think that we I mean, eventually businesses will be able to reopen and and people will be able to gather again, but I don't think that it's ever gonna be the same in terms of the way that we perceive social spaces and the way that we perceive uh, social distance in general in a lot of respects i think that we really have seen a huge shift in the way that we as americans carry out our day-to-day lives yeah everything so empty is kind of so fucking nuts yeah um and it's gonna come when it does when everything does like so try to come back to normal i think that it's actually there's going to be kind of two waves of it or two different kind of reactions. People are going to be like, I want to get back to this right now. Blah, 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 blah. Let's open everything up. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do that. And other people are going to be like, 
yo, I need some time to process this. I don't yeah. want to, like, there is going to be that kind of, like, you can still stay away from me and still kind of, like, take take that time. Like, yeah. I don't want to be around people anymore. I've gotten used to this. And, like. Yeah. And I think I think we're going to see a renaissance. Yeah, totally. uh, I think I think that we're going to see a lot of really incredible art in terms of whether it be digital or, you know, multimedia art, whether it I mean, be performance so much, art. There's so much that's coming out right now also. Yeah. And well, because we have to reevaluate the way that we distribute art and the way that we view art and the way we consume it. And I think that you know, we've done a lot of that so far, but I think there's still so much more to do. And I think those it's it's an opportunity for those of us who are artists to really get our message and our story out there. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the world is topsy turvy and, but we're still trying to find some normalcy in all of this. And that's why I decided to jump back into podcasting and, and be able to put this out for those of my friends who are stuck at home. Oh my God. I'm, and, I'm so happy to be here, dude. And, yeah. No, I'm, uh, I'm happy to have you. True, true crime is just like one of my favorite things. I'm always, it's actually kind of been one of the funny things during this entire quarantine is me having to kind of explain what I'm listening to to people. It's just <laughs> like, like, I swear I'm not crazy. I just really love listening to, to true crime. And I know we're all stuck in the same apartment, but like. I think that, you know, you're definitely not alone in that. There are, there are so many people, especially in the last couple of years, interest in true crime has, has risen. Uh, it's come to the forefront of popularity. And I think that, whether it be, you know, podcasts like My Favorite Murder or I love my know, girls. Oh, they're wonderful. We love we love uh, Georgia and Karen. Steven. And Steven. Oh, I love. I'm just gonna sit on his sit on his mustache and take it for a ride, and I. You can have that. I'm one. Very happy. I just Ste- I just want the Siamese cross-eyed cat. Yes, Stephen Ray Morris. If you're hearing this, please let me sit on your face. But after quarantine, after t- after 14 days, and uh, you know, you have to go to California. Yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna make my way to LA and find Stephen. Uh, Stephen, I have a cat. If that interests you in any way, wow. uh, but wow. but you know, you have my favorite murder. You have um inc- these incredible uh, Netflix true crime documentaries, which Netflix has been killing it lately. The content that oh they're putting God. out in terms yeah. of true crime is so on on par and it's so on brand and i love it uh i mean we've all seen tiger king but yeah. even just like what is abducted in plain sight was that the name of it that um, one was so that one was so messed up so messed up so messed up and it was so like it's that that that's where i get i have issues with true crime documentaries and i realized it more like i like listening to a podcast about it I don't necessarily want to watch a show about it. Okay. You know? Yeah, I, I I like I like a podcast. I you know, I love a podcast, especially if I'm driving. If I'm driving to work or I'm driving home from work, I, I love listening to a podcast. So I'm cleaning yeah. my apartment. I love I love listening to a podcast. But if I'm just sitting around, listening to a podcast doesn't work for me. Um, because my my attention gets grabbed by other things. So so a documentary. Totally. I'm a very visual person in general. So even when I listen to doc even when I listen to podcasts, I'm usually looking up on my phone photos of what they're talking about i'm also a big i'm a big crime scene photo person i'm so i can't do i can't do i can't do the photos can't i'm such a big crime scene photo person i i'm like any any case i research like the first thing i want to do is see if there are crime scene photos it's It's, i think that i i just i grew up like right when like rotten.com or whatever it was like yeah now right when the internet first started ish but like all that all that edgelord stuff yeah 
Yeah, when that came out, and I saw so many things that I should have never seen as, like, an 11-year-old. And then I was like, wah, just kind of, like, ratted my mind. Like, I saw crime scene photos of fucking Nirvana, and, like, ugh, that, that, that was so, like... Yeah. I mean, I've I've gotten to a point where I've I've seen so much and I, you know, I mean, even, you know, I've I've watched videos of people blowing their um, heads off. I've, yeah, I've that's seen... like, what was the show? I don't know which one. <laughs> uh, no, um, it was um, Faces of Death. There we go. Fa- oh, yeah. Faces of Death. I, yeah. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it came out later that a lot of the Faces of Death footage was was not real. Oh, but well, thank God. <laughs> that, that 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 helps me sleep a little bit better at night. But I've I've been to um, the Museum of Death in LA. I've been to the one in New Orleans, and you know, just there, I I think it's because I started watching horror movies at a young age, and I saw a lot of really gory images early on. So yeah. sometimes, I mean, I really feel that a lot of the time, the the real foot, like the real images don't really compare in terms of be how graphic some of these artificial images are that are created for horror movies and whatnot. So for me, it's not as difficult to palette, you know, um, but I yeah, do understand. I mean, like, I mean, like be, being able to say like, okay, well that is actually to differentiate between the two. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think some of the monstrosity of the images that I have, you know, be, learned to, to be able to palette to see an actual crime scene photo it's you it's rarely is it worse than some of these images that i've seen in movies although there have been some some images that have you know really bothered me but you know ultimately yeah like and that's just like always the biggest thing with me i mean like i'll always look at them and then i'll like i i will like touch my like pinky toe Oh. Into, like like be like okay ah, ah no yeah this is why i don't do that i remember okay this is why i don't do that okay because <laughs> i mean like it totally doesn't it doesn't leave your brain and but it also i, I mean like hey yo it it's just crazy because it, it's a real person you know yeah. and like and all of these like all all of these things that we talk about and all these all these people that have been murdered or have done that like all of these lives and families have been shattered you know I just can't look at the pictures of it. I can hear yeah. about it. I just can't look at it. I get it. I get that. And yeah, I'm I'm much more of a visual person. So for th- for me, you know, to understand a lot of things, I, I I look for you know for physical images so I can really grasp the yeah information. totally. I mean, like, and, yes. and I know I know that that's not that's not a thing for some people. Sometimes like that, that's too much stimulation. I get it. I understand. And that's why I, I never force listening to like forensic files. I can listen to the podcast <laughs> all the time. I can't watch the show. Love Although I do like files. the new one. They're not as graphic as they were with the old. I like the, I love forensic files, and I and I fall into a hole on Netflix all the time, and I get just hours and hours of forensic files. But... They're like, well, they came up with the new forensic files too. So it's like, yes, oh, I heard. Oh my god, and and they're and, and they're great. I really like them, and they're 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 like straight up. It is the same chemistry, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, yeah. it's, well, it's they, the same this part, this part, this part. But yeah, well, they came out with a new uh, a new series season of well, a new series of cold case files <laughs> on Netflix. The first season is really fantastic. I'm waiting for the next season. It's just it's so well done. Honestly, I have to say, like, I have to give Netflix their props. You know, they are a money grabbing conglomerate machine. I get that, but. 
the content that they're putting out is so fantastic. The when I tell you their their new take on cold case files is so beautifully done. The reenactments are so they're so artistically beautiful. They really uh, are. I mean, like it's it's this is not embarrassing. Like this is yeah. It's not like Ronco ad at like yeah. two o'clock in the morning. Like, well, as much as I love forensic files, all their reenactments are always so terrible. <laughs> oh my god! Right? Like, well, like, well, like the new, yeah. All right. Well, why don't we? Why don't we uh, get started? All right. Let's. All right. Do it. Let's do it. So, hi. This is the Drunk Detectives. I'm Phil, and this is my very special guest, Maddie Glitterati. Hi. Hey. Hello. <laughs> yes, Maddie is a new york city nightlife personality as well as dj and uh, we met uh we met a couple of years back when i was in brooklyn ah jeez, i don't um, even know yeah we met we met at sugarland i believe yep that makes sense that, <laughs> that, that definitely pans out that definitely pans out uh, yep, I, uh sugarland is that's i mean that's where i became friends like with misty and mocha yeah the legendary katie moss I think I think uh, the first time I was there was for Liz's birthday. Oh, good old Liz! Oh, oh Liz! <laughs> Miss me some Liz, right? But but we but we go back definitely. I mean, like the fact that mm-hmm. you can you know what Sugarland is, baby. Oh yeah, girl! I moved there just as just as the era was was ending. I moved into Williamsburg, and then Sugarland closed, and then I ended up. You know, I was mostly mostly at this and that because it was right around the corner from my apartment. So I could right. crawl home yeah, if yeah. I wanted to. <laughs> Dude, but I mean, like, TNT was like the best 2.0 of Sugarland. I mean, yeah, it was just half the size. That that place had like, like Sh- Sugarland uh, had like that backyard, everything. It was so oh, yeah. cool. It's I miss I miss Brooklyn very much. Uh, and then I think about how difficult it was to live in Brooklyn. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> maybe i don't miss it as much as i thought i did but i do miss brooklyn it was it was a wonderful time for, especially for me for growing in in my drag and just learning totally. so much and meeting so many people and and watching some incredible performances i mean untitled just watching untitled perform was I mean, always an experience that 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 creature is absolutely 100 percent phenomenal and will blow your mind oh absolutely like, you're like what did i do wow it's very rare that I want to watch somebody sit and lip sync to a ballad, but yeah, why, but I would I would pay money to sit and watch Untitled lip sync to a ballad. She's so incredible. She's just this this being. This she is entity. She is. I love it. And I mean, like between like her and all like these huge Brooklyn queens that have made this scene so like so real. You know, it's nice because like like because I've been quarantined in Brooklyn. Because I've been I've been living up in Washington Heights for like four years. So now um, I used to live like the last time I lived in Brooklyn, I lived with Helvetica. Oh, yes. And it was right off Myrtle Broadway. And now um, now now with my boyfriend, Chris, who I am stationed at, he lives right off pretty much the same exact stop. So I so I'm like, oh, my God, I'm right back where I left. Hi, Brooklyn. It's, it's, yes. so the quarantine brought me back to Brooklyn, so I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, Brooklyn is is an interesting beast, and it's you know as much as people really think it's you know people who who've never really experienced Brooklyn just think that it's like the city, but it's so different. It's so it really is its own entity. Entity, it really is. It's its it's its own little universe, and I, I love that. Absolutely. 
That's awesome. Yeah, baby. All right, let's let's jump on into this this case here. Into so murder. let's do it. So today, <laughs> cold blooded murder. We are discussing today uh, the Freeway Phantom. That's it. DC's Washington DC's uh, very own serial killer. So, oh my goodness. Ah, uh, here we go. It's tough. It was- so. It's it's very upsetting. It is. The whole thing is very upsetting, which is why we have to talk about it in this kind of context, because getting through it without without being able to laugh at yourself is is difficult. So we're going to start. We're going to start on uh, on April 25th, 1971. Thirteen year old Carol Spinks is sent to buy some groceries at the 7-Eleven across the border in Maryland by her older sister, Valerie. Carol arrived at the store and purchased some TV dinners, bread, and soda. Carol and the rest of her younger siblings were not supposed to leave the house while their mother was away visiting their aunt, but Carol's sister, Valerie, gave her $5. So, you know, Carol decided that it was worth the risk. I mean, give me $5, I probably would have done the same. I mean, I would a lot more for less. (laughs) This is true. On her way to the store, Carol's mother spotted her, and ordered her to return home as soon as she had finished buying uh, her groceries and that she promised her a whipping for disobeying her orders to stay home. The 7-Eleven clerk reported that Carol left with her purchased items and also a 14-year-old that was on the way to the same 7-Eleven with her mother and sister witnessed Carol passing them with a grocery bag, but Carol never returned home. (sighs) So that night, her mother filed a missing person report, and a bunch of neighbors began to search the streets for Carol, but nobody... They went crazy. They they went crazy looking for her. Yeah, absolutely. As you would. I mean, you know, if if you have a child 13 years old, she goes out to the 7-Eleven and she doesn't come back for, you know, for an hour, you you start to worry, let alone... And she was, like, she was supposed to be getting, like, TV dinners and stuff to feed the rest of the kids. You know, yeah. like the police just told her that it was uh, she ran away. Yeah, that's what they usually do. When you have young children who who, who don't you. come home, it's you know, especially especially young children of color, it's a lot. It's right away. Oh, they must have they must have ran away, or maybe they are at a friend's place and they just didn't want to get in trouble, so they didn't call. That's such a huge thing, like especially about this case, because this is all this is all in Washington D.C. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. I mean, like, that was the craziest thing that made me kind of just, like, balk and be like, all this stuff happened, all to, like, children of color in Washington, D.C., and nothing's being taken seriously. Yeah. Uh, so six days after she disappeared, children that were playing in a grassy area off the northbound side of I-295 behind St. Elizabeth's Hospital stumbled upon the body of Carol Spinks. So the coroner found that Carol's cause of death was strangulation but that she had also been sexually assaulted and sodomized. Carol had cuts on her hands, likely defensive wounds, as well as on her face, neck, and chest, and the attacker had given her a bloody nose. So Carol was dressed wearing the same blue gym shorts and red sweater, as well as the brown socks that she was wearing when she disappeared a week prior, but she was missing her shoes, and her body was covered in synthetic green fibers. When during the autopsy, the medical exam medical examiner found traces of citrus fruit in her stomach. Like the craziest part about this, like I was just like, oh my god. The coroner believed that 
if she had citrus citrus fruit in her stomach that it meant that her abductor must have fed her before she died and they believed that he kept her alive for a few days because when they found her body she had only been dead for two or three days i i i love that crazy like little tiny like details um about stuff like that and that's that's someone that's holding the that, that was holding her for a while you know what i mean yeah sorry it's my turn no no you're good <laughs> um yes and you can totally fill in the blanks to where i'm missing them absolutely all right so the next victim was it was just a few months after it was on july 8th uh 1971 um darlena denise johnson and she was, um, she was going. She was actually working at a rec center called Oxen Hill, and there was there was a ton of people that there's different accounts that say that um, that one person that there's a an African American male that kind of uh, drove by in a car, and there's this and there's this. What happened was that she had never after that date on July eighth, she had never been seen again. Eleven days later, though. Um, her body was located 15 feet away from where Sphinx had been found. Like, literally 15 feet away. Yeah, and they they had both been strangled, and they both had no shoes. So that's, like, the kind of thing that kind of runs through this entire, like, what he was doing, he, he always took off their shoes, which always kind of, like, mortified me a little bit. Well, I, I, always, I always saw it as him keeping a trophy. <sighs> and also said so they can't run away. So, yeah, so you're absolutely right on, you know, she she disappeared on her way to work at the rec center. Apparently, according to her mother, she had told her mom that she was planning to stay overnight at the rec center because she was going to chaperone a sleepover that the children were having. But she never even arrived to work. Oh, yeah. So um, after she had disappeared, a a week went by and there was. Uh, a DC department of highways and traffic employee pulled over on the side of I I two ninety five because he was having some car trouble and he found a body on the side of the road and he called the police and the police said that, yeah, they had gotten a call about that earlier that day and they went out to go and, you know, sweep the area. The police patrol car came out. They never got out of their car they just kind of looked out their car window and they radioed in uh 10:8 which means that they had found nothing and then a week later on July 19th so this is 11 days after the discovery of Carol Spinks's body uh okay. one of the one of the previous callers who had called in about the body on the side of the road went back to the site and saw that the body was still there so he called the police back wait um, what yeah because the police never went, never did anything about the body on the side of the road. So he he actually called, and then he called his his boss because he he worked for the uh, Department of Highways and Traffic. So he called his boss. His boss called Charles Bade, who was a, a DC police sergeant, and he told Bade that the police had been called, but that nothing had done. Um, so Bade rode out, rode over on his motorcycle. And that's where they discovered the body of uh, Darlene Johnson. That is, I really, they just didn't do anything with it. That, they just didn't do anything. They didn't even bother to get out of their car and look. Uh, so you could see yeah. the eye roll that I just like. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's repulsive. You know, on top of that, 
because they waited so long and they left her body out in the sweltering heat no for 11 days her body was so badly decomposed that the coroner couldn't really ascertain a cause of death they believe that she was strangled as well as carol but they couldn't be sure and in order to identify her they had to actually remove her fingers to fingerprint her yeah see you did so much more research than I did, <laughs> good sir. So, well, I I I got I got six whole pages of notes here. So I'm oh my god, I I, I got a lot. <laughs> well, then I I, I want to let you go with this, and I will throw in my little tidbits that I know. So. All right, that's that sounds good to me. <laughs> but like you said, like Carol, her shoes were missing. But other other than that, Darlinia was completely dressed. So yeah, after that, the next the next time we would hear about a child who had gotten missing in the area was July 29th. July 29th, 1971. 10-year-old Brenda Faye Crockett went to a local Safeway to buy some bread and dog food for the family's three dogs. All, all of these stories freak me out, though. It's because everyone's going to a store. Yeah, for the know? most part. Oh, my God. It just, it's just it's terrifying. It's just like you you can't even go to the store. Well, you can't, yeah. especially now. Oh, they're all they're all young. They're all young black girls who were on their way to their store or to work or to to someone's home within their own neighborhood. They weren't going far. This isn't like, you know, a girl who's hitchhiking on the side of the road. These are these are these are young women who are in their own communities where they feel safe, who are being abducted right off the street. So, yeah, um, if you look at the map of where they all are. It's insane. They're all not there's there's like four of them that all are right around each other, you know? Yeah. So Brenda had left her home barefoot with pink foam curlers in her hair. Brenda's mother had sent her to the store approximately eight PM and uh believed that her daughter had brought a friend with her on her trip to the store, but that wasn't the case. Brenda went alone. So when Brenda had not returned at, returned after an hour, her mother went out to look for her. At approximately 9.20, Brenda called home, and Brenda's seven-year-old sister had answered the phone. She, yeah. Uh, she had, yeah, so she had been left at home with her mother's boyfriend while her mother searched the neighborhood for Brenda. So Brenda was on the phone. She was crying to her sister that a white man had snatched her, but he was going to send her home in a taxi. Brenda told her sister that she believed that she was in Virginia before she abruptly said goodbye and hung up. A short time later, Brenda called home again. This time, the phone had been answered by her mother's boyfriend. Brenda repeated what she had told her sister about being taken by a white man who said that he would send her home in a cab. Her mother's boyfriend asked if she knew where in Virginia she was, but Brenda responded, no, did my mother see me? He asked her how she could see Brenda if Brenda was in Virginia. Her mother's boyfriend told Brenda to tell the man that she was with to come to the phone. He heard heavy footsteps, and then Brenda whispered, well, I'll see you, and hung up. So eight hours later, at about 5.50 a.m., a hitchhiker found the raped and strangled body of Brenda Faye Crockett sprawled out on the side of the road. She was shoeless and had a scarf knotted around her neck. Her bare feet were pristine as if someone had washed them, and she was wearing blue and white print shorts and a matching halter top, and her body was covered in synthetic green fabric. This green fucking fabric. Wherever these fibers are coming from, there it's 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 really our through line. That and the, and the no shoes is really our through line through all of this. So Brenda's mother 
Retha in an article with the Washington Post stated, what is so appealing about a 10-year-old that you would snatch her off the street and rape and kill her? She said, why her? She was. She has a theory about the call. She says that perhaps the killer knew Brenda Crockett's mother and wanted to find out if she saw him with the little girl. Why would you let her call home? Not once, but twice, Jenkins asks. So, uh, yeah, Jenkins, so, so weird. Yeah, so Jen- Jenkins is the one of the, the detectives who worked on this case. So Jenkins, Jenkins is asking, why would you let her call home not once, but twice? He had to make sure that the mother didn't see her. So they think they think that while the mother was out searching the neighborhood, she spoke to this man or she or she saw him on the street. So he had to make Brenda call home to make sure that that her mom didn't see her with him. Oh, my God. That's what they think. That's well, that's yes. Yes. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say it falls. Yes. So then uh, we have October 1st, 1971. 12-year-old Nina Moshia Yates disappeared when going to the local Safeway a block away from her apartment to buy some sugar, flour, and paper plates. She was alone. Her mother had just given birth and her stepfather was at the hospital with her mother. Two hours later, a 16-year-old boy found the body of Nina Moshia on Pennsylvania Avenue. She had been raped and strangled. Authorities reported that she was still warm when her body was found. Oh like the, yeah, like the other victims, she was shoeless. Uh, green fibers were found on her clothing. A witness reported seeing a blue Volkswagen in the area, and though it was investigated, it led nowhere. Also, like we, this is Pennsylvania Avenue. Like, how close is that to the White House? Like, I actually don't know. I didn't. I didn't look into that. But like, it, it's like right in Maryland. It's, it's like right by DC. Like, this mm-hmm. is like kind of like Pennsylvania Avenue is continually always known as like that that's the white house you know that is that is the road to the white house yeah and so she got dropped off right there yeah well i mean whoever it was he was he was getting he was getting bolder he was getting braver in the way that he dumped the bodies and and where he put them after the murder of um nina moshia the moniker the freeway phantom started being used after it was used in a daily news article to start to describe the killer Mm -hmm. after that we have november 15th 1971 our oldest victim brenda wood woodward 18 and a friend stopped at ben's chili bowl after their night school class before taking a public bus home at 11 p.m so her friend usually drove her home, but his car had been in the shop at the time, so they both took a public bus. Woodward got off the bus at 8th and H and H Streets, that was northeast, and transferred to another bus. Six hours later, Woodward's body was discovered by a police officer in a grassy area near Prince George's County Hospital, along an access ramp onto Route 202 from the Baltimore-Washington Parkway. Brenda had been raped stabbed four times and strangled she had defensive wounds on her hands that uh, showed that she had fought her attacker unlike the other victims brenda was found wearing her shoes um, and she had been redressed so her turtleneck had been turned inside out she had buttons missing from her coat and her skirt and her coat was placed over her chest in one of her coat pockets there was a note ah this note Right. This note so, is so fucked up. <laughs> it is. So it says, 
This is tantamount to my insensitivity to people, especially women. I will admit to others when you catch me if you can. Freeway Phantom. Gross. So then, yeah. So the note had been written on a piece of paper, and it was torn from Brenda's school book. Uh, based on the handwriting samples, authorities believed that the note had been dictated by the killer and written by Brenda. So really? specialist, yeah. So specialists also believe that, that that makes me very upset. <laughs> yeah. So so specialists also believe that noting the lack of distress in her handwriting and the fact that she included punctuation Mm -hmm. and other than the fact that she clearly had a case of dysgraphia and she had difficulty with her her handwriting you know some of her letters are capitalized when in the middle of words things like that i was like looking through all of that yeah i'm actually looking at now it it's crazy it's really it's super frenetic you know yeah so she other than that there really was no distress in the way that it was written and that led authorities to believe that brenda knew her attacker huh really yeah because they they figured that if if she was in a state of distress because you know she's being she's been attacked and she's being forced to write her this letter you know for authorities they they figured that she probably knew who it was and didn't didn't think that they were going to really hurt her and she was 18. Yeah. Okay. Okay. After that, we have... Diane, right? So, September 5th, 1972. It's so uh, 17-year-old... How, how, many, how many times the names are repeated? They're, yeah, well, there's very, they're very similar ones. You have, you have Darlena, you have Diane, you have two Brendas. It's actually like... I was just looking up uh, their middle names... Oh yeah, I, you know, I didn't even I didn't even think to look at the middle names. So it is Carol Denise Spinks, Darlena Denise Johnson, Brenda Faye Crockett, Nina Misha Yates, Brenda Denise Woodward, Diane Denise Williams. Oh wow, they all have Denise in their name. So many. That's so bizarre. It's, I never. I actually never noticed that. Denise was a thing with all yeah, of that's, these names. Yeah, I that's. So, I, I'm sorry. No, I, I didn't. I didn't even put those together. That is, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's it's like it's like oh my god. Okay, so who is Denise? What did she do? And right. <laughs> even if even if someone didn't even know that, but whatever. I mean, it, it's still worth noting that there's definitely like this. <laughs> that's huge. I actually I haven't I didn't notice that, and it wasn't in any of the research that I did. That's actually really really interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's like that was one of the things. That it was because it wasn't just. Uh, yeah, when I was just looking at it, like throughout today, I just kept on seeing Denise, 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 and I was like, "Well, this is the, it, it's just very interesting, you know." I want to know what you know about Diane. So, on September fifth, nineteen seventy-two, seventeen-year-old high school junior Diane Williams cooked dinner for her family and then left to visit her boyfriend at his home. She was last seen when her boyfriend walked her to the bus around 11.20 p.m. Only a few hours later, her body was found dumped along I-295, just south of the district line. She had been strangled. Diane had been written on one of her sneakers. And a $1.25 was found in the hip pocket of her jeans. There were no signs of sexual assault. Traces of semen believed to belong to her boyfriend were found. And when police 
went to go speak to you know the family and and talk to the boyfriend the diane's mother refused to let authorities question the boyfriend oh why i don't know so same area at the same time oh my goodness yeah it's it's really it's really upsetting because especially in any murder investigation the first thing you want to do is question the people closest to the victims that's always oh that's how it works you know so i i don't know what reason the mother could have for saying i mean the only thing that i can think is you know you're we're talking about a black community in dc there yeah. is a lot of mistrust for they don't want the to uh, yeah and Absolutely. i understand that huh. so I, I have to go to the bathroom really. okay i think this is a good place for us to take a quick break so that you can use the restroom i'm gonna pee too and i'm gonna freshen up my cocktail All righty. Sorry. That's okay. All right, Casey Musgraves. Uh, I I went and saw Casey Musgraves. Uh huh. And <laughs> she had like bomber jackets that look like uh the the pink ladies, but they're yeah. but they're navy blue, and it says "Giddy Up" on the back. So I'm very happy about that. Ooh. Yeah. Like a gay cowboy. That's Love me. It. <laughs> I am a gay cowboy. Just a tiny little gay cowboy. I love it. Little, little tiny gay cowboy. All right. All right. Let's let's jump into this uh, investigation. All right. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm down. So, it was after the murder of Yates that authorities began to believe that the murders were connected. Okay. A, so a telephone hotline was set up, operated by the Metropolitan Police Department of the District of Columbia, the MPDC. And information was also being accepted by mail. And as with, you know, as with any murder investigation, some leads were much easier to discredit than others. So the investigation was conducted by uh, a law law enforcement task force, which included detectives from the MPDC, Homicide and Sex Crime Squad, investigators from Prince George's County and Montgomery County in Maryland, Maryland State Police and the FBI. All of them. All of them were involved. So it was common practice at the time for case files to be retained with the detectives who were assigned to the case. So they, you know, there wasn't like a, they didn't like go and sign out case files. They didn't go and sign out the evidence. At the time, if you were the detective on the case, you took it. You were in charge of it. So as a result of that, uh, the freeway phantom case files are incomplete. Ugh. Yeah. So over time, items have been discarded or pages or articles of evidence have been lost along with their associated notes. And I mean, again, this all, all boils down to the fact that these were all all the victims were people of color. Yeah. And, you know, so so all of the original task force leaders are either retired or have passed away within the last re- like you know recent years. With uh, the current state of evidence, no leads produced enough sufficient sufficient evidence for prosecution. So in an article for the Washington Post, retired D.C. police detective Romaine Jenkins stated, they ran down every lead, she recalls. I have to give them credit. 
The task force developed hundreds of suspects, including a four-star general, a St. Elizabeth psychiatrist, a wealthy Prince George developer who owned a property in Southeast. They questioned a man who owned a teen club where Darlenia Johnson hung out and another who someone allegedly saw in a car with Johnson after she was reported missing. Police used sodium pentothal sorry, on him. And he was the first time it was the first time that the department ever used a truth serum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like that's like the truth serum that like makes you like Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to lower your inhibitions and make you tell the truth. It's um, but that man was cleared. So Detective Jenkins reopened the case in nineteen eighty seven while she was assigned to the US Attorney's Office. So former investigators turned over their notebooks to her and she got cooperation from the FBI who opened their files for her. She visited crime scenes and interviewed witnesses as well as talked to relatives of the victims to see if the true suspect may have been overlooked. Jenkins believes that authorities devoted too much time and manpower to investigating the wrong suspects. During Jenkins' investigation, she learned that Darlenia Johnson's mother had received odd phone calls during the time that her, that her daughter was missing. This new piece of evidence was corroborated by a, by Diane Williams's parents, who told Jenkins that they received phone calls from a man saying, I killed your daughter. So Jenkins also wanted the forensic evidence tested. So at the time, during the original investigation, DNA testing didn't exist. So okay. she, yeah, so she went, she was like, I want to get all of this evidence DNA tested, but because they lost so much of the evidence and lost so many so much of the case files they didn't have enough evidence to test it's uh, yeah so many investigators say that this is due to the fact that the police department put little emphasis on this case due to all of the victims being black women and jenkins believes that to an extent she believes that the victims weren't given enough priority because they were black women however she also said that the loss of evidence appeared to be a common issue with the MPDC and that often they would go into, you know, go to get case files and they would just be thrown about. There was no, you know, proper filing system in place for them. So this was this was an issue that they had with all of their cases. But I think but she thinks that if they had not been black women, that there might have been at least a little more care taken in regards oh. to how the case was investigated. I mean, I think that's that is absolutely hundred percent true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a couple suspects to talk about. Yes. So technically, three. There's a gang, and then there was two different, like two different suspects. The strongest suspect at the time, when they were investigating, was his name was Robert Askins. He was a computer technician and former patient at Saint Elizabeth's. I don't know anything about this. Oh, yeah. So he, he had served time for poisoning of a sex worker in 1938, and he was released in 1958 after his sentence was overturned on a legal technicality. Okay. So DT Detective Lloyd Davis interviewed Askins about his involvement in unrelated rapes. And in March 1977, a D.C. judge signed a search warrant when police searched Askins' home, they found the appellate court's opinion from his earlier conviction, which used the word tantamount 
which was the same word that was used in the letter that we found in Brenda Woodward's it's a very poem. odd word. It's a very odd word, and it's not a word that I think people use very often. Yeah, they fucking don't. So also found in Askin's home were soiled women's scarves, photos of girls and young women, a knife used in another crime, and an essay that was written by a young girl. Oh, jeez. Yeah. So another warrant was then issued a month later for Askin's vehicle. So two buttons and a gold earring were found under the back seat. Okay. But officials could not find any evidence to tie him to the murders of the freeway phantom. The green fibers that were found on some of the victims did not match any fibers in his home or in his vehicle. And the hairs that they found on the victims did not match any of the hairs found in either location. Yeah. So Askins was instead found guilty of kidnapping, raping two other women in D.C. years after the Freeway Phantom murders. And after receiving a life sentence, he died in prison on April 30th, 2010, at the age of 91. So Detective Jenkins thinks that he was completely capable of committing the Freeway Phantom murders. But she said, you've got to be able to prove these things. Ultimately, Jenkins doesn't believe that Askins is responsible for the Freeway Phantom murders. Okay, can I talk about the gang that's involved about this? Of course. Okay, so there was the Green Vega rapists who are also kind of been heaven fingered for this. And pretty much because they drove a, I don't know, a green Chevrolet Vega. <laughs> yep. And since we've had green fibers in every I mean, the insides of the car were not green or to be known, but. At the same time, I mean, it's it's still green is a color that keeps on coming through. They were known for abducting and raping girls in the Washington, D.C., Maryland area right all around that time. They had numerous cases that they were kind of being uh, locked in on that all went around the Washington Beltway. Between homicide detectives, Fing Irving and Richardson, they all interviewed these guys you know what i mean and there was one one gang member implicated another one who said that he was involved and gave gave information to the beltway homicides yes um so i mean like it's kind of not knowing exactly i mean if you want to go off on that by all means do you have any more information about those guys i i do i do so like you said there was a gang member who was part of the green vega gang that was being questioned in regards to other crimes at Lorton Prison in Virginia. And while they were doing these, you know, this questioning, one gang member implicated another member within the Freeway Phantom murders. So the okay. when they were questioning him, he he told them, like, listen, I will give you this information. I'll tell you dates, I'll tell you times, I'll tell you locations, but you have to promise me that you will keep my identity secret. MPDC agreed to that and he provided them information. He gave them dates, locations, gave them information about the crime that, according to MPDC, was unknown to the public and that only the perpetrator and the police would know. When he came forward and and he gave all of this information, he also made sure to claim that he was not involved. He had an alibi in place, which was verified by the police. After that, there were some elections that were going on in D.C. at the time. And one of the one of one of these people who was running in this election, he stated that 
one of these men that was being questioned by police came forward with new information within the Freeway Phantom Murders investigation and that he had cracked the case. After that announcement was made, this informant, he recanted all of his statements. He said that he never made any statements, that he, you know, he wasn't involved, he doesn't know anything, and, you know, he really just backtracked completely. So DC homicide investigator Lewis Richardson was certain that the men were responsible because they took police to the scene, told them how the girls were killed and provided other details. And Lewis Richardson said, how can a man tell you about a crime, the scene, clothing the girls wore, how she was killed if he wasn't there? Richardson, who died in 2016, told uh, the Washington Post that in 1980. We have um, other uh, other investigators, other detectives who worked on this case. And Jenkins and uh, Trainum don't think that this informant was giving accurate information. So Jenkins and Trainum said that uh, they both insist that the information given by the informant came directly from news reports on the murder. Yeah, they state that the informant knew nothing about the letter that was found in Woodward's pocket and that um, none of the men's hair samples matched any of the hair follicles found on the victims. Mm. Yeah. Other than that, we have two ex-cops that were believed to be involved, Edward Sullivan and Tommy Simmons. They were arrested for the murder of 14-year-old Angelica Denise Barnes. There's that Denise again. Um, Denise! And and she was uh, believed to be a victim of the Freeway Phantom, but authorities later determined that her death was not connected to the Freeway Phantom murders, and they continued their investigation. I think it was. I so, I just really like this entire Denise line. Like, where the fuck did that come from? Why is why is Denise always like the topic? Trainum, the DC detective who revisited the case in 2009, believes that the killer was someone who lived in the same neighborhood as the first two victims, as they were abducted within blocks from one another. Yeah. He also believes that the phantom then moved outside of his neighborhood because a neighbor might suspect him. He stated the police weren't paying attention, but the neighborhood was. And then Detective Jenkins believes that the phantom may have been in the military or been a transient. She suspected that it could have been a Vietnam vet who had returned with PTSD or somebody who was angry with law enforcement. Both detectives believe that the phantom was in his 20s or 30s at the time of the murder and that he was a black man. So, I mean, but then, then that also totally goes back like to where her statement saying that she was like with like like a white man took her. Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's difficult. It's difficult because you have so much evidence and it's not leading anywhere. Yeah. There's so I, much evidence. And it was almost like really kind of like looking at the actual like note that was found like in in her pocket like how it is written is so specific yeah. like it if you look at that and and also i mean the penmanship is really good <laughs> but it's <laughs> oh this entire case is just so these girls were gorgeous young women you know yeah i mean like and it is very it just upsets me a little bit. Sorry. Huh. Yeah, no, it's 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 Denise, very upsetting. Especially like Brenda Denise, but that woman is like she is gorgeous. Yes. And, they were all such beautiful women 
and it's it's so upsetting and especially because and I, I think I think Romaine Jenkins says it the best. So Romaine, Romaine Jenkins, uh, she retired in 1994, but she said that she was going to continue to work on this case as long as her heart kept beating. And she would be in her early 70s at the right now. I don't know if she's still with us, but she'd be in her 70s. Um, and she said wow. that this is the last thing that they had written in, in that Washington Post article. She said, what happens when people like me and the families are gone? She asks they will be forgotten. Mm. And she's right. She's right. It's it's so unfortunate and it's so sad. These, you know, these young beautiful girls who yeah, were just completely ignored at, you know, they were they were taken, they were abducted, they were raped and murdered. They, you know, this was like like you said earlier, this was at the height of Martin Luther King's movement his entire renaissance it was like right around the time to where like to where it, it wasn't it wasn't so long after before he got assassinated yeah so personally what what do i believe i believe that whoever the freeway phantom is i believe that it's um i believe that these crimes are racially motivated i believe that it was a i believe i believe it was a it was a white man could i be wrong absolutely absolutely was it absolutely was you know yeah. and I, I could be I could be completely wrong. I think that there is there wasn't enough investigation into Edward Sullivan and Tommy Simmons. Yeah. I think that a lot of what happened to Angela Denise Barnes echoes back to yeah. the Freeway Phantom. Yes, totally, 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 yeah. So um the I pulled up um the original news clipping of Edward Sullivan and Tommy Simmons here. It says two former DC policemen were being held in the Charles County jail Sunday charged with the murder of a teenage girl. One of seven victims of the so-called freeway phantom Maryland state police said the two men who both resigned from the patrol division of the metropolitan police force in 1971 were identified as Edward Sullivan. Really? 30 and Washington and uh, from Washington and, and Tommy Simmons, 26 of Temple Hills. Both were charged with the single count of murder in the death of Angela Denise Barnes. They were held in jail pending a bond hearing Monday. A police spokesman said that they were charged with the Barnes murder in Charles County because it was believed her murder took place there. The spokesman said police were still investigating the six other murders and there was no hard information linking either of the suspects to the other murders the body of the barnes girl was found july 14th 1971 just off the shoulder of maryland route uh sorry the rest this line is hard to read uh in charles county she had died of a bullet bullet wound in the back of the head the seven murders were dubbed the work of the freeway phantom because of all of the bodies were found along maryland highway Sullivan was arrested by homicide detectives from the Maryland and Metropolitan Police Departments Friday afternoon at the Nyman Realty Company in Laurel, where he worked as a salesman. He worked as a policeman for eight months. Police said they kept information on the arrest secret in order to in order not to warn. uh, It's very hard to read this old newspaper. Simmons that a second person was being sought. Simmons was arrested at his home Saturday. 
He was employed by the thrift loan company in Silver Spring. He was on the police force for a year before resigning in February 1971. Those guys totally, they totally killed that. They're part of the clan, and they totally killed them. So that's... Yeah, so that's that's the original um, April first, nineteen seventy four. That is the original news article. Do and I think I think that it absolutely they were in they were somehow involved in the freeway phantom killings. Whether they they worked together or whether it was one or the other, I think the bullet wound is it doesn't fit the pattern. It doesn't fit the pattern. But you know sometimes. Unless one of them, if you know, if, cop, if it if if it was a cop and had to be like, you need to shut up, bam, like a bullet, like. But you know, it also could be that maybe one or the other. So maybe Sullivan was the freeway phantom killer, and Tommy Simmons was somebody that he had just recently brought in because they realized that they had mutual interest in murder in uh, harming young black women, and maybe it was one or it was one who act alone on, on using a gun where, but ultimately we don't know. And we won't know because so much of the evidence is missing. It's really, and that's, and that's the craziest thing about this case is that there's so much stuff that's missing. And that so much stuff has gone like away that you just like, we just don't know. Yeah. Not like, and mm, that's, I feel like that's the most like frustrating part is because because you can never get a pure answer because you never know what was actually happening. Yeah, absolutely. Had the evidence remained intact, we probably would have been able to solve this by now. The fact oh. that we don't have evidence is probably going to be the thing that works against this case the hardest. And it's also like it's like it's not one person. It's six people. You know, it's like, oh, we lost this evidence for one person, like losing for six people. That's that's not only unacceptable, like it's just it's just it's infuriating. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that was a tough case. It was not uh, the happiest. No, it was not. I have I have six whole pages worth of worth of of that you (laughs) fucking rocked you rocked the fuck out of that is what you did thank you thank you um i i just want to really quick cite where i got my information from i got the majority of my information i got from this really really incredible article written uh in the washington post called six black girls were brutally murdered in early in the early 70s why was this case never solved that was written by cheryl w thompson uh and that's uh may may 22nd 2018 so um huge huge amount of information it gave me so much more than anywhere else that i looked um i also got uh some information from wikipedia from their you know freeway phantom page and then i also got some from uh, one of my favorite subreddits unresolved mysteries the freeway phantom so yeah mysteries okay unresolved mysteries on on reddit it's one of my favorite subreddits it's lovely (laughs) it's lovely my darling thank you so much for going through this terrible terrible crime with me absolutely thank you for being here for it i'm so glad that we finally were able to make this work yeah man i mean like i i would i I would love to be back whenever i whenever i can absolutely we have all so much time on our hands. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. no, I'm I'm down 100%. I love I love having people from my community be part of this, you know. It's um, not necessarily a queer podcast, but always having my my queer brothers and sisters be a part of it is always a wonderful experience. So, hey, what's up? How you doing? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we go anywhere, I just want to do uh, go through all the motions here. So you can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, The Drunk Detectives, a true crime podcast. You can also find us on Spotify, on iHeartRadio. We are on Stitcher Radio or on Radio Public. So if you listen to any of those things and you're somehow listening to us on somewhere else, um, go there. Find us. OK. Uh, also. I have a an Instagram that you can follow. It is at the Drunk Detectives. So give, go give that a follow. I post a companion for each episode with photos and and whatnot, so you can follow along with us. Uh, Maddie, do you have uh, any social medias that you would like the people to follow you on? Uh, yeah, totally, man. Um, I mean, like I'm always DJing and all around New York and whatnot, doing the, now doing a lot of live streams. So my Instagram is uh, Maddie. Uh, at Maddie um, underscore uh, no, it's, it's Maddie Glitterati. That's my that's my Instagram. Um, <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, that's that's about it. Find me all Wonderful. faces and faces. Perfect. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that everybody goes and listens to your sick beats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, also, if you know if you were listening to this podcast and you. Um, you know, maybe you're an expert on the freeway phantom and you um, are upset because there's a very, very big piece of information that I did not mention. Please email me. That's um, thedrunkdetectives at gmail.com. You can also email me if you just want to say hello, if you want to um, suggest a case for me to discuss, or if you are just a super fan, which I mean, I, I I don't know if I have any of those, but if you are, please, please email me. I'm always welcome to um, some feedback. So thank you for that. And then also we have a website. It is www.thedrunkdetectives.com. And there's a link there to our Instagram. There's a link there to wherever you can listen to us. Uh, Also, if you love this podcast, please share it with your friends. There's nothing to lose by sharing murder. Yes, share murder with the people you love. I mean, like, I only share murder with the people I love. It's <laughs> Wonderful. I love that. It's, um, it's, it's, it's a crime of passion. Li- literally. Literally. It's a crime of passion. Um, thank you so much for having me be here with uh, you and let me uh, do this. It was, it was really awesome and I appreciate it. It was really nice and everything that we're going to. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for being so enthusiastic and and you know I, I i'm happy i could make your dream come true of being part of a true crime podcast you did it. <laughs> absolutely all right this is where we say our goodbyes maddie say goodbye bye and goodbye everyone remember to please tip your bartenders and to tip off your detectives if you have any information regarding the freeway phantom please call the Metropolitan Police Department of D.C. That's 202-727-9099. One more time, that's 202-727-9099. We're looking for any information that could help them solve this case, okay? Thank you guys so much. Get home safely. If you're traveling, which I hope you're not, you should be social distancing, you 
you crazy people and drink responsibly okay <laughs> bye